Welcome to the podcast for 1776 Forward. We're the grassroots movement that's crowdsourcing activism for the cause of philosophical liberalism. Stand up. Speak out. Hello, everybody. We are back for our uh, 1776 Forward podcast that we are starting to launch as our movement launches here. How you doing, Joya? I'm doing well. It has been a crazy week, but I'm That's actually at this point, this is the best I felt since Tuesday. So we're recording this on Sunday post the election. <laughs> and this is admittedly the best I felt since Tuesday. Yeah, you know, I have to, I, I would agree with that personally. Yeah, so I, I, best day I've felt too. It's been quite a week. Um, and we thought for all of our viewers and, and listeners uh, that, we, that it was an important enough event to talk to as it relates to our movement and especially as we're, as we're seeking to launch this, um, this podcast series. Um, for those of you who have read the manifesto and or listened to our introductory podcast that, that explains the manifesto and, and the goal of our 1776 Forward organization. You'll know that we talked about how uh, Joy and I, when we were starting this, this organization and this activism project, that we had a real sense that 2020 was going to be a big apocalypse year. And that was even before all the events of uh, the crisis events of 2020 that none of us foresaw actually played out. Um, so, you know, and we always had a notion that chief among the big events in 2020 would always be the presidential election. And since it, you know, calendar-wise falls at the end of the year, we, we always had a sense even before this year began that, that anything that did happen this year, including our project, would be aimed at that event. And so now, obviously, the 2020 U.S. presidential election has happened, and we just wanted to, to comment on it, you know, because it's, it's, it did give so much form, at least as a event on the calendar, and an event in the culture um, and what it says about where we are as a culture to, to our movement and, and, our, and our organization. So, you know, with that, Joy and I are just gonna, frankly, have a conversation talking, talking live real time about our views, emotions and reactions and reflections on what's happened this week in the election and its outcome and, you know, where it stands. You know, I think we, we kind of even already, she and I have uh, pulled out some short-term points of importance, uh, just to, that speak to the still moving events on the ground and the state of the election, um, its unsettled state, and and some important ideas that we think are kind of uh, implicated in that, um, and then as well as certainly some long-term principles. That's that go to our philosophically liberal principles and values that that are highlighted by this week's events and the election results, and and then lastly, kind of speak to you know kind of what what would we like to see or hope to see going forward, uh, you know, kind of as a result of the election, and and all of which is going to certainly be related to our seventeen seventy six forward project. Joy, I don't know if you have anything you want to add. I'll jump in and say, 
I'm really excited for this conversation because I think we're going to model what we hopefully continue to build here with 1776 Forward, which is the idea that we're bringing together people with different ideas and perspectives, but who have some commonality in that shared value of philosophical liberalism. But on this particular topic, I think it's really interesting because I think you and I do have some significant disagreements. So it's gonna be really interesting to talk this through with you. I'll, I'll jump in and say that one of the ways I see this is personally speaking, I have been a registered independent voter my entire life. But if anything, I've probably skewed more left. Interestingly, there have always been positions on the right that I thought were more correct and would have gravitated toward. There was a time when I would have said that I was socially liberal but fiscally conservative, although interestingly, that phrase does not seem to apply anymore in the new political landscape of 2020. Mm -hmm. But if anything, perhaps on more policies, I had always leaned a little bit more left and certainly personality wise. So I don't know if you're familiar with this idea that the big five personality, that two of those personalities, that that there's a personality type towards openness where people who I identify as having the more open personality end up being more liberal. And there's another personality type that leans toward stability and that those people tend to gravitate more toward conservatism. And certainly I've taken the personality test and I am high, 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 like almost off the charts on openness. <laughs> people might know that that doesn't surprise my, my other work is all about lifelong learning and lifelong travel. So it's all about being open to new experiences and new ideas. So personality wise, I definitely lean more left leaning. But Chris, I think you've always leaned more right. Would that be a fair description? Yeah, although I, I haven't, I'm, I guess I'm not familiar with this this model or this test. I certainly haven't taken it. And well, then I'm going to put the link so that everybody can take the test in the show. Yeah, that'd be great. Everybody should take the test. Yeah, you should know great. your own personality. It's really interesting. So I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes. Yeah, you definitely should. But and I'm just laughing because I'm like, I guess, does this mean that I am not open? You know, I never conceived <laughs> of my, no, I, I say that jokingly. I never conceived of myself that way. But But certainly I could see the aspects of me that value stability as well. I mean, I guess I don't really, I don't really think of it in those terms. Um, and you know, this is this discussion is not really meant to be about joyas in my personal political philosophies, you know, per se. Um, so, Technically, it's not even just stability; it's order too. It's order and stability versus okay. openness. Yeah. And order, I think, does very much apply to even what I know about you as a friend. Yeah, no, that you like to organize your life. I believe is very orderly. Yeah, that's fair. So, well, then all the more, re now I'm even more intrigued. So please do share that that link because I really want to check that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess the point is this is not meant to be, uh, you know, an exposition on joys in my personal politics or anything like that. So, you know, I mean, you're right that I, I guess I have always been more right-leaning for my own reasons, you know, which I'm happy to talk through individually with anybody who's, who's listening and cares at any point in time. But I've also, I've never been a regist registered to either political party as well. So I've always kind of seen myself as more independent as well. But I think, you know, some of the things that you, you know, you kind of uh, might, the, I've, I guess, using your, that old formulation of socially liberal, fiscally conservative, that's how I used to think of myself as well, or maybe perhaps more libertarian. And, and for me personally, you know, issues on kind of the fiscally conservative side tended to take more importance to me. And so I think that's probably why I, I tilted more that direction. But like you don't really kind of see myself 
fitting neatly on either side. And I think that was, that's a big reason why we started this organization even. So, but yeah, I think that's a good, good grounding to, to your original point here, which is hopefully we hope to model even in this discussion and, and demonstrate to you that we're not, you know, Joy and I not necessarily coming from the exact same sides either, but you know, how, how we want to work through it. And, you know, a secondary aspect of this is just the, the value of talking these ideas out with other people, including people that you don't necessarily agree with on everything, you know, uh, even just as the manifesto was clarifying emotionally and psychologically and philosophically clarifying and cleansing for you and I, as we sought to form our own version of saying no to the illiberal, yes to the liberal and create a new, a new form of liberal value in our own way, having these types of conversations is, is a way for us to work through our emotions and our thoughts and reactions to current events. And so, you know, we hope that, that this again, just serves as a model and a template for a lot of great additional content to come on any and all topics, which will hopefully be uh, ultimately curated by you, the viewer and the listener, as you send us your ideas and, and connect with our podcast hosts to share your ideas and activities with us. So let's dive in. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I guess we can start perhaps with the, you know, the state of play. We, you know, it's, it's Sunday, November 8th. I guess the election was Tuesday the third, so we're we're now five or six days removed from uh, the election itself. It's obviously, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but me personally, 2020 was always going to be about the presidential election. Um, you know, we live in a time we live in polarized times to begin with, and then no doubt the presidency of Donald Trump has, you know, has further polarized, I think, the American political scene. Also, his dominance of all of culture has, has kind of made politics seemingly more paramount and every day in all of our lives, even when we didn't necessarily want it, and the media and, and kind of, you know, oppositional, you know, tit for tat in our culture of him him and them back and forth has brought that to the fore. So we always knew that was going to be the case anyways. And then with all the events that have transpired this year, I felt that that the election has always been kind of the underlying uh, theme, if you will, um, or motif of every other event that was happening. So we've had our climax and sure enough, it, ha it has ended in as unusual and chaotic of a climax as everything else this year or so and everything else about seemingly our, our contemporary politics. So, you know, I know I've had a range of emotions and reactions. You know, Joe Biden, yes, as of yesterday, was declared the winner by the media organizations based on the current counts in all the states. But President Trump obviously has not conceded the race yet. Um, he and his campaign are uh, alleging large-scale voter fraud irregularities, um, uh, extra-legal deadlines and, and counting of votes that they seem to think anyways could be determinative in the outcome and could still 
um, make it flip in the other direction. So, you know, technically, notwithstanding what the media is telling us and, and has provisionally said, the election is not settled yet. Um, so it just adds to, you know, the range of emotions and chaos that's following in its wake. But that's where kind of at least the state of play today on Sunday the 8th. And so I think that's just further added to the the heightened emotion. So, you know, I think, you know, the first point is, is even to just, um, and it's good that we're doing this now when you and I are both have, on our most even-keeled day since Tuesday's events to talk about it. But, you know, I, I think perhaps the first point that both you and I kind of mentioned offline in, in our own private conversations on this is just the importance of having compassion for everybody, you know, in whatever place and space they're in, in the aftermath of this election, given how emotionally and psychologically and politically charged and fraught it's been. I don't know, Joy, if you, you wanted to say anything about that or how you're feeling. Exactly. So I'll jump in and say that people who know me might know that part of my background is I've been a yoga teacher. I teach meditation. This week, more than ever, I found it very necessary to really utilize those practices that help you self-regulate physiologically. And I think that's really important to mention now that there has been chaos all year and perhaps this week in particular. And for me personally, it has been a week where I've really needed to look inward and make sure that I'm caring for myself first to make sure that then I can show up first as a calm, physiologically self-regulated person in the world. And when I do that, it helps me come from a place then of compassion because from this place of calm, I can see the compassion for all Americans in this moment. And I think this is a nice tie to our project of 1776 Forward and what philosophical liberalism is all about because part of philosophical liberalism is recognizing that, there is, that we are all unique individuals and that there is a common humanity that unites us and that simultaneously we can think of ourselves as members of groups. And it's interesting, I believe, in the moment when we're in, when the group identification is promulgated and pushed, it seems, more than ever, to also recognize that we are individuals and that there is the common humanity that can and ought to unite us. And in this moment, I think it really is important to strive for that perspective of recognizing the common humanity and finding the compassion. So speaking personally, I can say from my perspective that I can see why lots of people were not happy with Trump and are therefore happy with a Biden win. I can understand why lots of people were not happy with Biden and are therefore perhaps even grasping or really struggling with the declaration of the win that was made yesterday. And as an independent, I will say that I can definitely feel the compassion for all of us who don't really feel necessarily wide extremes of emotion for either side. So while I've definitely been riding my own kind of roller coaster, it wasn't the kind of roller coaster that would have been elated if one candidate won and despondent if the other candidate won. For me, the roller coaster has even been more the chaos of what's been happening and knowing that in planning for the long term, 
it would be helpful to have some kind of sense of where we're at so that I can start thinking personally about how I'd like to act to get us to where we're going, which would be different depending on the outcome, but is not ideal in either case. So that that's how I've been feeling. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. Um, I guess so. Are you saying that your emotional roller coaster has been um, been driven more by the un- the continued uncertainty of of direction that that has been, I guess, willed by the voters in the outcome? And, and, well, and and I guess that is you know that the campaigns are still throwing up. It has been interesting. So this is just even. You know, as I start to self-reflect, one of the things that I've noticed that's happened to me just in the past day since we got the the declaration yesterday, because as we're going to talk about in this conversation, there's definitely a part of me and my rational brain that knows that it's very important that we insist on transparency for this election process. And I'm going to put forward that I really do believe that from a bipartisan perspective, we should insist on auditing this election. I wanna say, I think we should all be able to agree that this was a very unusual election and that as a bipartisan sentiment, we should all feel that we should have an audit of this election to make sure that this process actually works out correctly, regardless of what the outcome is. But I will also say there's a part of me that was just happy that there was maybe some kind of declaration and we could have sort of some place to put our feet and say, this is where we're at in the moment and not have everything up in the air. So just even recognizing that within within myself of noticing that, uh, and interestingly, even though I am the personality type that likes things that are open and can generally deal with chaos, that in this particular moment, mm-hmm. it, it was useful to just have something to hold on to and grasp onto. Got it, interesting. Um... Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure I'm in that same place yet, <laughs> personally. But uh, but it certainly provides, you know, a a finality, uh, you know, uh, of one form, if you will. So, but as we as we kind of talked about, just the the current state of play is uh, Trump is not conceding the election yet and plans to litigate it. So, and you know, for for everybody listening, and you know, maybe for perhaps for those who who aren't clear, uh, you know, or if the point isn't obvious, you know, notwithstanding the media's declarations, they're, they do not, you know, declare election winners in our system. There's a very, very clear, detailed legal and constitutional process for, for that happening. And that, that so long as there are disputes uh, and the other side has not conceded, you know, nor have state legislatures kind of signed off on the results, then that that is still an open question. You know, I think we're finding ourselves essentially in um, for those who uh, are old enough and were around for the 2000 election. We're essentially back in one of those situations. Um, only times, you know, depending on how many states you want to count that are going to be in dispute. Uh, you know, times three, five, seven, seven times for for all different states. So we, we're going to have to see how it plays out. But clearly. Clearly, at least, you know, on the current count, Biden seems to be the winner. And so, you know, so it's obviously very much up in the air. But I think the fact that Trump isn't conceding and that there are a lot of these questions um, around the total vote counts, um, given the uniqueness of mass mail-in ballot voting for this year, 
and all of the last minute changes to election state election laws and rules around that that, that were created you know that's that's the context and the atmosphere with which we find so much um, confusion and still dispute around the election results and 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 that joya was referencing and saying we should all uh, you know, on a bipartisan basis, want to audit the results of this election. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think I'm probably personally more in that camp, um, you know, rather than, than kind of seeing, uh, you know, seeing yesterday's media declaration as definitive. Um, and, you know, perhaps that's, uh, you know, to some extent, that's just because after the last four years of the Trump presidency and, you know, the, the unexpected twists and turns, as well as the kind of, uh, you know, energy for fighting, you know, uphill battles that Trump demonstrates, you know, I, I have no doubt that this is going to drag on a little longer. So, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm trying to take a more, a more, I guess, cautious and measured approach as to what comes next. But we can certainly talk about, you know, what whoever is the final winner when all the court cases election recounts and and state audits are are completed whoever ends up the winner we can talk about what what the different implications of that are if biden you know biden's current current win ultimately prevails or you know whether you know certain states flip back after all the process plays out and trump ultimately hangs on you know we can certainly talk about that but you know for now i think um the immediate short term is just what to do about this dispute, right? And and how do we make sense of it it going forward? And and you know, I guess for me, part of the emotional roller coaster, and perhaps you know, some of the uh, you know, I guess what's the right word? Uh, disappointment in in kind of. You know, I mean, I understand, as you said, kind of the elation of those who kind of the partisans for the Democrat half of the country who wanted to get Trump out and see Biden win. You know, there was a lot of elation yesterday for, for that media declaration. Um, but given how much is in dispute and then knowing how the 2000 election played out, you know, where where it was, I think people were a little bit more cautious with with kind of their description of it, given that Al Gore at the time was the the disputer um, in that situation. I guess what's just disappointing to me is to see how how quick to dismiss and close out any consideration or com conversation of the disputed events around Tuesday's election by the media and by many partisans on the left is. And so I think, you know, I think that goes to your point. Like, we both agree wholeheartedly on the need for a bipartisan audit. And I guess one of the first question, or, or you know, one of the, the first questions of our conversation is, is um, whether we're gonna get that. And based on what I saw yesterday, you know, and how the narrative seems to be pulling, kind of rolling out, just frankly, the fact that it is narr all about narratives rather than kind of just kind of stating the state of play like we are right now by many in the media who, you know, who we trust to inform us, you know, that that's what disappoints me is, and, and gives me gives me doubt as to whether we're really going to get bipartisan agreement and consensus around this issue.
I totally share that worry and concern and it ties into, I think, another aspect of the situation we're facing that I also find deeply troubling, which is the state of our media. And to your point that we're both getting a lot older and I am old enough to remember when it was at least a stated ideal and seemingly in practice that the media was supposed to be above the fray. The media was supposed to be the institution that allows us to question the government. And now it seems there's just fake news on either side. And so even trying to figure out how we could have that bipartisan consensus, that ideally it should be the media that stands in as our representatives and allows us to have that. And instead they're, they're the exact opposite. They're the ones who are declaring the election on, on behalf of one candidate or the other. I think, I think everyone can agree that the media has not been favorable to Trump throughout four years, that the, the mainstream media has a bias and it's unfortunate and it's scary. And then I think this will, will go get into our conversation of what can we start to do about that? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I think, I think there's three things, you know, this is kind of, you know, the first, the first bucket of our, our conversation that we laid out at the outset, you know, kind of the short term, just state of play of the current current events and and some of the important themes that they that they implicate on you know um, and I think given the dispute but the fact that at least half the country seems to think there isn't a dispute or that there's no merit to that dispute you know I think it speaks to to two 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 important points of both the importance of process and and more bro broadly and deeply rule of law which is ultimately process um, and then as well as one of our themes in 1776 Forward of the importance of free speech, open debate and inquiry and um, uh, critical questioning and, and uh, inquiry, curiosity when, when there are irregularities, anomalies, extraordinary circumstances that make things not normal. So regardless of, I think the point on bipartisan consensus is that in my view, the, the rational and, and kind of objective analysis of 2020's events and 2020 election and how it, how the process of our 2020 election played out would acknowledge and take into account the context that it wasn't a normal election. It was, it, you know, because of the pandemic, we had way more early voting and even more particularly way more mail-in voting than we've ever had before. In fact, pretty much every state changed their laws, you know, or at least kind of uh, the uh, in the executive agencies that enforce them kind of made exceptions to their laws to allow for uh, much broader uh, mail-in voting, you know, kind of um, on the premise that given these pandemic, wanting to keep people safe and not have to feel that they have to go to a polling place in order to vote, et cetera. And, you know, while, while that is obviously a good 
goal and premise that we want to still uphold and maintain everybody's right to vote and not feel that they have to make such a, you know, such a um, stark choice between putting their health and safety at risk versus, you know, exercising their, their right to vote. Um, you can't talk about this election out of context that the fact that the way in which we voted this year was completely different than every other year. And in fact, that there have been dozens of legal suits brought by partisans on both sides to try and change those laws and make them more favorable, let's be honest, to their partisan advantage. So, you know, without even commenting per se on the merits of each side's cases, you know, I think particularly whenever it's political parties, you know, political parties or um, aligned activist organizations filing these lawsuits and pushing these changes on laws. I don't think any of us should be naive or disabuse ourselves of the notion that they're doing it wholly altruistically, you know, for, you know, for just kind of expanding the vote, but rather, you know, for ways in which they might be able to gain advantage on that. So, um, you know, I think even just acknowledging that context of the extraordinary nature and circumstances of the way in which we counted and collected ballots this year, any fair-minded person would have to acknowledge. And then given the importance of ensuring that everybody in our country in a self-representative, self-governing republic accepts and respects the results of the outcome, that in that context of an extraordinarily unique and unusual way of voting that even if it's not probable, it's potential for additional incompetence, uh, error, human error, and or fraud, right? And that's the context in which, and frankly, for all of us who watched the election results play out on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, and then on Thursday and Friday, and ultimately till Saturday, till even the media couldn't even call it. Um, notwithstanding the problems of where the media is today as a neutral arbiter and describer of, of facts on the ground, you know, given the way all that's played out, you know, again, I would think any reasonable observer would look at that and say, you know what, for the benefit of the country and everybody accepting these results, this was so different and so unique and frankly, so close. Either way, whoever wins, it's going to be on a razor thin margin you know, in terms of the electoral college and the states that will tip it over the electoral college, the margin of vote share in those states, that we all should should have an interest in that. And the fact that you're already seeing not only expectedly, I guess you could say, many Dem Democrat partisans, um, but also kind of the media just dismissing these concerns outright and and just trying to you know, say, nope, you know, it's, everything's all above board, nothing to fear, concern, trust the process without, without acknowledgement to the fact that there was no process, at least, you know, as it normally and as it legally has been laid out, you know, I think is, is a disservice to and ultimately will be very damaging and destructive to the country and, and to its um, cohesion and acceptance of these results, whatever they are, you know, if we don't audit this process. I think that is well said. So should we start discussing the long-term implications and maybe what it is we can do to make some forward progress? Is there yes. anything else you wanted to say about the, the short-term implications? No, no, y yes, certainly. Um, do you wanna kick it off? 
Sure. So to start even by talking about the processes we have in place, this is maybe even a, a great moment to reflect back on our goals with the organization of 1776 forward and thinking back to 1776 or at least the founding era that we are ideally a government of laws and not of personalities and part of the brilliance of our system as the founder saw it was to balance the powers and part of what we're seeing is the erosion of that balance unfortunately and so that's one of the biggest i think objectives we ought to have for the long term is recognizing what was good about that ideal of the balance of powers and what we can do to insist on the value of that and to champion that ideal for our government to to really stand up for that and insist on that notion and then also the the principles of free speech, freedom of press, that it seems we're really struggling with in, in our current culture. So the, the necessity in the long term to stand up for those ideals. And I like to sum it up in thinking about the value of independent thinking. And that's something I really hope that we explore in depth as part of 1776 Forward, that if we're really going to make a cultural transformation, because I do believe that if we're going to make real political progress, that yes, there are these short-term considerations, but we wanna think about the long-term effects that we can have. And a lot of that is in terms of the culture and in terms of education. So I hope we can stand up and champion the value of independent thought and even start to think about how we can model that in the current climate. So for me personally, I know it, it's been an active process of not just getting swept up in what the social media feed feeds you, in actually being proactive about checking sources on both sides and being that your own center of independent thought who's not just going to be swayed by what one of the sides, which clearly has an agenda, will want you to believe. Agreed. Um, I think to that point, that even implicates on the, you know, our earlier point about the importance of a free press um, as an institution that helps us, as you, I liked how you put it, kind of navigate these issues and hold government accountable. Um, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts. You know, perhaps you've already perhaps you've already jumped ahead to the answer of my question, but um, if you have any thoughts of how, even if it's just sharing how you're navigating, you know, the current events, um, you know, in terms of how people should make sense of it, given the state of our press, um, and maybe the answer is by being independent thinking, right, and avoiding kind of the social media echo chamber. Um, and self-reinforcing uh, silo uh, or bubble that it is, we know, um, by, by at least uh, technological design and perhaps psychological design, if not, you know, if not ideological design, um, you know, to, to, to reinforce those, those bubbles and echo chambers, um, you know, how should people make sense of it? Um, and how are, you know, how are you making sense of it? Because I know, you know, for me personally, you know, I, that's what I'm having to do as well. I don't, 
you know, the mere fact that you're not even seeing in, in kind of mainstream media so sources much discussion of, you know, the fact that there's even still, the election's even still in dispute and that it's all just already onto, uh, I mean, even just articles I'm seeing, you know, of President-elect Biden and everything he's gonna do and here's all the people he's gonna start appointing and, you know, like, that to me is a tell that that the that the media has an agenda, which I don't think is any is a surprise to anybody. So for those who are trying to make sense of it, of kind of reality, you know, what's what's kind of the best way to do it, and how you do that in an environment where you know the media itself has has kind of kind of become a an actor in our partisan battles, you know, on both sides. So I'll share that I have found this to be difficult. One point that I think is worth mentioning is that I don't think there was ever a time when the media was not biased. I think sometimes people look back and project a kind of golden age of Walter Cronkite, I think, is always the person that's held up as this neutral arbiter that everybody could trust. And as far as I see it, Walter Cronkite was a human being like the rest of us, and we mm -hmm. all have our biases. So mm -hmm. one of the ways that I think that's important to do this is to recognize that every individual does have their bias, but then when you're trying to figure things out for yourself, you want to make sure you're hearing voices that reflect a bunch of different biases. I think this even reflects some of our ideas about what philosophical liberalism is all about. It's recognizing that there's an objective reality out there, but we're all processing it individually. And the way that we do that best is to try to minimize bias as much as possible. And, and how to do that is even to look for what's common across biases. Now, unfortunately, to a certain extent, the, the media landscape has perhaps made that harder to do. I'd say for me, it, it's been a very conscientious, proactive, pursuit that I've had to make to, to even start to pay attention to my feed and to say, wait, if I'm hearing too many voices on one side, I need to go out and actively see what are people saying on the other side, just to make sure that I'm getting a sense of from all different angles and hopefully being able to see what truth might emerge in spite of all of our biases. But it is a very difficult thing. And Unfortunately, I feel it's becoming only harder and harder. Now, part of it is the rise of alternative media. In a sense, that's what we're doing even with this podcast. We're, we're making our contribution with this podcast to the rise of alternative media, alternative voices. So we are not reporters by any stretch of the imagination. And may, maybe hopefully we'll get some reporters on as guests, but that's obviously not Chris and my profession or our perspective. But it is an opportunity for us to present our opinions and bring on, hopefully through this podcast, people with a range of opinions so that we can start to hear the differences. Yeah, no, I think, I think the emphasis on proactive uh, seeking of, of information and sources from across the ideological and and or media spectrum is is critical because it's 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 kind of both the well it's it's the i don't know paradox is the right word but the you know the the double edged 
opportunity and, you know, and sword, if you will, uh, maybe I'm mashing my metaphors a bit, uh, of contemporary media and social media in particular, right? On the one hand, there are more media sources of information and so many easier ways to generate and disseminate information than ever before which is obviously hugely democratizing and liberalizing in its own way and i and both because it gives us access to more data on the world around us because more people can report on it um, and share it and also because it allows individuals like us the power to generate that content and share what we're seeing you know, directly as well, rather than through kind of media gatekeepers when previously, you know, just even the technology to get news or information disseminated widely to many people was such that you needed a lot of resources and you had therefore corporations and, and other, you know, organizations that had to combine resources to do that, right? So, so that's like the positive, but then, you know, we see obviously the downsides of that, particularly in social media, in the feedback loop and, and the echo chamber. Um, and I think we're seeing perhaps the consequences of that playing out now in, in our culture, in the growing tribal tribalism and polarization between the two extremes, uh, you know, and two political parties, um, where it feels very much like people are talking past each other rather than with each other. Um, and then certainly manifested in how we're all processing this week's events too. So I think this this just goes to the long-term point that you were talking about of the, the importance of you know, freedom of freedom of speech and and press and information, and perhaps the answer really is that as more media proliferates, both more opportunities to expose the truth as well as to purvey fake news and untruths, um, that that is going to perhaps put even more onus on the individual, not only to make their own judgments about what they're consuming, but frankly, to be a proactive consumer themselves in order to, to get, because, you know, even if you're discerning and think you're judging independently by your own kind of estimation of the facts that you're, that you're reading and interpreting, you know, if you're just taking kind of what your feed is spitting out for you, you know, as kind of the facts that you're putting into your into your model, your mental model, uh, you know, an, an analysis, then you're probably not, given what we know about the algorithms and, and design of social media, you're probably not getting all, you know, all the right information that you need to make an informed decision. And so that, that puts, you know, a more onus on you to, to go out and seek that. I would absolutely agree with that. So should we then switch gears and now talk about the next steps, what to do next? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think, so some positives that, that I definitely take away from this week's results, um, no matter kind of the final outcome is, uh, you know, 
we spoke in our introduction in our introductory podcast about how one of the things that Joy and I find um, encouraging and and hopeful about this moment of 2020 that we are launching this project in is that there's a real way, it feels like anyway to us, that there's a real way in which Americans' political philosophies are up for grabs. Um, that even as the two party system and the, you know, the, the political tribalization and polarization seems to be growing, which seems to manifest on both sides in their own forms of authoritarianism, that most people are still not, you know, it kind of are resisting those two extremes and that they are still a minority of the country and the culture. So, you know, there's a very real way in which it feels like things are up for grabs and people's political allegiances are, are more fluid. You know, that I think one of the key goals of 1776 Forward is to, to help direct and channel that into a positive pro-liberty direction because we recognize that, that could, that's also a dangerous position because it means people could get pulled more and more to either or both extremes, which will certainly be to the detriment of the philosophically liberal cause. Um, but I do think the fact that you, given that moment, it's not surprising to me then that the results of Tuesday's election are such that you basically have a 50-50 evenly split country um, and, and what that portends just about uh, everything being up for grabs and maybe an opening for us you know, to, to, to grab people's attention and to expose them and educate them in the ideas of a philosophically liberal cause to hopefully hopefully give form to that. You know, I think um, one thing we can definitely say of Tuesday's results is that, um, you know, well, certainly people predicted Trump would do a lot worse than he did. You know, they didn't think, you know, it was Trump's going to lose in a landslide. It's a repudiation of all the, you know, isms and negatives that have been flung at him by, you know, his political opposition and media critics for the last four or five years. Um, and lo and behold, it was, you know, it was a pretty, it was almost an 50, exact 50-50 split and he got a record number of votes for, for any candidate in history other than Biden himself, right? So, um, you know, I think that speaks to perhaps something of a backlash against, you know, that effort to tar and paint him with all of those isms and negatives, what we might call woke culture, um, you know, that, that's very cognizant of politically correct speech and, and kind of using or weaponizing it to, to silence those who don't agree with all of that speech or don't agree with all the program that is underneath those who are pushing that speech. Um, so, so that to me is one positive, it, but it also speaks to, while there may have been a woke rebellion, you know, do people really know what they're positively for yet, right? So I think that that's a sign that this is up for grabs. I don't know if you have anything to say. Well, one other positive I definitely see that you've essentially alluded to is that this has been a record turnout year for voters. So we're seeing that people actually care more. People are going to the polls. And there is perhaps then this possibility to, to seize on this interest and do something with it. 
to your point that maybe what we've noticed is that this election unfortunately was driven by negatives that people were not necessarily voting for Biden or for Trump, but voting against Biden or against Trump, that then there's an open question in people's minds of, well, what are we for? If I'm not for Biden and or I'm not for Trump, what am I for? And hopefully philosophical liberalism can be the thing that they can come to be for because you and I would both agree that philosophical liberalism this is, these are the values and principles that have led to flourishing, abundance, freedom, not just the pursuit, but the actual attainment of happiness for more people than ever in history. And hopefully we can have discussions that, that take this cause forward and inspire people with a positive message of something that they can fight for. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, maybe to even pivot off of that Further, um, you know, I think in giving people a a kind of a positive value to be for, you know, we can kind of seize the moral high ground in our cause because they're really, I mean, politics itself, as we know, ultimately does does come down to a a debate among the society of individuals about what values they want to see reflected, defended, and advanced in through our government, right? And so it is a moral equation. And there's a very real way in which you see both sides kind of trying to seize the moral high ground. But as you note, um, you know, and, and certainly they have their aspects of it, you know, whether it's kind of um, the multicultural, um, you know, kind of uh, elevation of diversity and, and you know, kind of uh, demographic, you know, groups and, and perhaps minority rights, you might kind of summarize or, or classify the, the left and Democrat sides, moral high ground um, on the one hand, but then, you know, on the right, kind of um, whether it's religious morality or even just traditional morality, kind of that sense you talked about, about maintaining stability and order of, you know, what many people on the right half of the country feel is a system that they want to preserve and not upend and disrupt and subvert. Um, you know, both of those, I think, are, well, what's interesting is they're both good values and they're not necessarily, unfortunately, we see our political system puts them as antipodes against each other, as false alternatives that cannot coexist rather than what I would argue is, is actually, you know, the proper both and integration of both values. But nonetheless, you know, I think in the, in the most honest and benign interpretation of both sides moral argument that that's kind of maybe perhaps the driving or animating cause on both. And yet, as you noted, this election, you know, really wasn't about you know, a positive kind of what people were for. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, on both sides, even the drive up and turnout was more about voting against the other side. And certainly that was the language and rhetoric that both Biden and Trump used to mobilize their coalition. So there's a real way in which they, while they're, they're groping to articulate a moral high ground, neither of them certainly seized it, right? So I think it's in that, context and opening that philosophical liberalism really has a positive vision 
of something that we all can be for. Um, and that really draws out, as we talk about in our manifesto and, and in 1776 forward, what we see as the real alternative of freedom versus authoritarianism. Exactly. I think that's beautifully said. And so I guess just next steps for people watching this, I would say that if people haven't yet seen our introductory video where we really go into depth about what we think philosophical liberalism is all about, also read our manifesto. That introductory video is kind of a layering on top of the manifesto. And I hope people will explore those documents and then get involved with our grassroots movement that what we are trying to do here is crowdsource examples of activism from diverse people, people with truly diverse ideas and thoughts, and that this is how we can all grow and, and actually put our attention and our efforts towards something positive. And I will say that for me, even that has been incredibly healing during this year that has been so chaotic and unusual that just the work that you and I have been doing to gear up and launch this project has been so important to me to help me have that positive vision of something to be working for in my life. So I'm just excited to open this up now and share it with everyone else and actually take this to the next level, start a movement, get more people on board with building something positive. Certainly. Um, and even this conversation, I think, has, has further helped, helped me in that aspect, too. Um, so we encourage all of you to, you know, when we talk about our, our kind of three broad or general planks of what you can do for the, for the philosophically liberal tradition and advancing these, these positive values, um, you know, have these conversations in your own life with people, perhaps proactively even seek out people who you know have a different view, but, but approach them in a compassionate manner, understanding where they're coming from, you know, start perhaps, you know, one, one uh, useful principle that I, that I try and take uh, in having conversations with people who I know probably don't agree with me on things. Um, it's actually came, came from something you said to me a long time ago, Joya, is um, taking people on their own terms, you know, and starting there as a basis for a conversation to share your views on an issue um, or beliefs and to hear from there. So, you know, even having, even replicating what Joy and I are doing right now in this podcast in your own life with someone in your own life, you, you know, if that's therapeutic for you, if it's beneficial to you working out these ideas and coming to terms with this week's events or this year's events, you know, all of that is, is useful. And if it sparks uh, new ideas or your own activism projects, then by all means, please do share those with us. And, you know, as we seek to continue crowdsourcing, you know, all of your, all of your ideas and sharing them with everybody to inspire people in, in, in our kind of, in our own uh, activist network here. I think that makes a perfect conclusion for this conversation. I'm looking forward to seeing what we're going to hear from other people. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, for your time. Great to uh, speak with you, too, Joya. Um, and uh, 
you know, I guess I'm, I'm sure there'll be much more to say on this topic, uh, you know, for all of us uh, out in, uh, in America in the weeks to come. But, uh, you know, we look forward to seeing, seeing everybody in, in the next uh, podcast conversation. Look out for, for the next topics. Bye, everybody. See you next time. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join in the conversation, you can become a member for free and join our 1776 Forward community on Locals.com. See you there.